0: The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org.
1: How do we face the reality of our lives falling apart? I mean, sometimes we don't have to, sometimes everything is smooth sailing, full of ease, we had good health and happy relationships and peace and harmony in the community of the, you know, the nation and the world all, all around us, stable jobs and enough money and just enough sun and just the right amount of rain so that everything is just right, sometimes, and when that happens, thank God for it, but also, of course, realize that it never is going to last, not very long, by some unwritten law, it all comes apart eventually for everyone, for Christians included. And as the Apostle Paul's been laying out for us in Second Corinthians, there's also something about the particular call from God placed on all of us that it means for Christians that there's going to be a, a unique challenge and a unique set of sufferings in this life that we face. He sure did, and as we follow him, we will too. That's just the way it is for those who are faithfully following Christ. So how do we face the reality of our lives falling apart? When it happens, not if. Is it best just to focus on staying strong? You hear that a lot. I'm not really sure what that means. But you hear a lot. It, things are really tough, but she's staying strong. She's going to get through it. I'm not sure what that is. I think it's probably some sort of a stiff upper lip, like I'm just going to bear through it and not let these things affect me and and pretend they didn't strike me and, and I'll be okay. That's one option. Just taking the blow and powering through. And then some, the exact opposite, the blow hits them and they descend into a deeply melancholy and beleaguered state. And how they deal with it is they make the whole rest of the story unending misery. Maybe bitterness seeps in and, and a constant looking at how bad things are, how much I've been afflicted and how much I've been ripped off and I got the short end of the stick and, 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 and it just is dark. Dark and may be fearful as worry seeps in and the ex- expectation that when the other's shoe drops, it's going to be even worse. Maybe you deal with it like that, by collapsing. How else do you deal with it? What, what, what do you do? We've we had plenty of opportunity to practice this over the last number of months. <laughs> Stuff falling apart. How, how have you dealt with that? What do you do when... You face the reality of life falling apart. Paul rejoiced. And he wasn't crazy. Paul rejoiced. And he thinks every Christian can and should respond just like him when life falls apart. When it brings us tears and pain and death, slight and momentary afflictions like that. And I say that carefully because I I know that some of us have, are, and we all will face things that bring pain and tears and death. I say that carefully, but, but I want to say that truthfully also. These light and momentary afflictions are doing something else in us and for us forever. And to see that, to see it clearly and carefully, but to see it clearly and truthfully, is the massive secret behind joyful, effective, persevering life amidst all kinds of trouble. That's what we're going to be discussing today at the end of 2nd Corinthians chapter 4. Read the passage beginning in verse 16 through the end of the chapter, and then I'll draw out two observations from it. This This is potentially extremely heavy. And potentially extremely relieving. There's a lot of potential in this passage which is one of the reasons I, I love it. This is one of my favorite passages. It is, I, I find it incredibly helpful. But we've got to deal with it carefully. Here it is, beginning verse 16. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. For this slight momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. 2 Corinthians 4. Two observations. Here's the first one. The Christians faith-driven afflictions are bringing about great future personal glory. The Christians' faith-driven afflictions are bringing about great future personal glory. Verse 16 begins with, "...so we do not lose heart." Let's remember the context in which he writes that. Back at the beginning of the chapter, back in verse 1, Paul had already written, having this ministry by mercy, we do not lose heart. So he said this kind of before. and When he said that back in verse 1, then he began to talk about the ministry, what it is, how we do it. And then he talked about, as we saw last week, potential reasons why you might lose heart. Why you might be tempted to lose heart. Because life involved in this mission, this ministry, faithful Christian living is very hard. That's the context for this statement. Hardship that comes to the Christian who's faithfully walking with Jesus, like verse 11 said, living for his sake, verse 13, with the spirit of faith, it's difficult. So we get get this straight from the beginning here because in this context here, we're not talking about all people. He's just talking about Christians. And I think, if if you're not a Christian and you listen to this, I think there's some strong incentive here. What we're going to be talking about is some way to deal with life falling apart, and there's a great offer here, but it's an offer that is only for Christians. So come on in and join us and find this, but here's Christians, and it's all Christians, not just the Apostle Paul, it's all of us. So we're talking about normal Christians and what they normally encounter as they normally walk with Jesus, just simply trying to depend on him and and live following him, like us. And here is reason not to lose heart. Though our outer nature is wasting away, that's where he begins. And by outer nature, he means that jar of clay, like he was discussing last week. We looked at this. Obviously it's just an analogy, but he, but he sets it up as if we, we, we people are earthenware vessels and in verses eight and nine we're being constantly struck and afflicted and perplexed and persecuted and struck down, kind of being chipped away. That was all last week and here in verse 16 all he's doing is kind of re-acknowledging that, saying that is the regular, continual, ongoing reality of life. That's us. That happens. Our earthly lives are physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually afflicted. So, kind of pause there for yourself and get your hands around the scope of what that is for you. What's that for your own life? How are you being worn away, strained, hurt, attacked, scared, afflicted? What is it for you? Because it's something for all of us. All of our lives are being poured out daily, chipped away until one day, as if the clay pot is finally completely shattered, we die and literally go into the ground. But up till then, all along, we're being afflicted. And we want to get in touch with that. We want to get in touch with that. To see it. To understand personally the reality of life lived in the minor key. Not because life lived as some sort of habitual Debbie Downer or Eeyore if you... You know, Winnie the Pooh's melancholy friend not because that's like better life I'm not trying to say that it's just a very true part of this whole story of human existence it's very true and constant and that reality along with the other part of the story which we're going to talk about in a minute here we are going to come to that but but both of these things together, starting here with the minor key, this is going to be part of how it is we live, not losing heart. You see, sometimes we think we're doing ourselves a favor by denying all that. I want to stay positive. I, I, want, to, I want to stay upbeat. I want, I want to, I want to like keep looking on the bright side and walking on the sunny side of the street. We think we're doing ourselves a favor by, by suppressing that, by denying that, by remaining happy, by staying strong, by keeping a stiff upper lip. And we do that, and we do that, and we do that until we can't, until it just breaks in and we've got no way of dealing with it. That's not actually helpful. This is how we are helped to not lose heart. By looking at square in the face and saying, while we are being daily wasted away. Yup. True. We acknowledge that. I, I'm like a flower quickly fading, and in fact, life's like plucking the petals off, too. That's true. And though that does happen, let's get this concessive, though, that does happen, the other part of the story, also something else at the very same time is happening also, at the very same time, also, at the very same time. Though we are wasting away, also at the very same time, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. There's another you. There's the you that's getting chipped and cracked and busted up. And there's another you that doesn't die when you die. The you that's not the clay pot. There's there's that you too that's not shattered, but is actually constantly right alongside of this, it's at the very same time. And the grammar in both these sentences is, is constant and continual. You've got two things going on at the same time. While wasting away, you are being renewed. While being wrecked, you are being built up. While being torn down, you're being beautified and restored. Simultaneously. Both. You're declining and growing, dying and being refreshed. How? What, what, what is that? How is that? Because it certainly doesn't seem, I can, I can get in touch with the life in the minor key when I look at verses 8 and 9. I feel that I see it. But I can't at that time see this constant renewal and upbuilding. It feels like I'm being torn down. How can this be? What do you mean, Paul? Well, verse 17, 4, here's how that can be. Verse 17, I can say verse 16 because all this slight and momentary affliction that dings up the clay pot and causes it to waste away, while it is destroying you, it's also doing something else. And we've got to pause there and get a solid grip on something that we have to engage with. Let's talk about Paul first. Paul said of himself, saw it last week, afflicted in every way, perplexed in every way, persecuted in every way, struck down in every way constantly. That's, that's us too. but he said about himself. And remember chapter one? I was utterly burdened beyond my strength. Despairing of life itself. He'd heard the death sentence Read over his life. We can look ahead at chapter 6, verse 4. This is his life. Afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, and hunger. And we can look ahead at chapter 11, verse 23. Paul's life is one of great labor and imprisonments, he says. Countless beatings and often near death. Five times whipped with 40 lashes minus one because 40 was considered a possible death sentence and they didn't want to quite kill him, so they gave him 39. Five times. Three times beaten with rods. Once stoned and left for dead. Three times shipwrecked, a night and day afloat in the open sea. I'm in danger everywhere from everyone and everything, he says, often abandoned and even betrayed by friends. He's homeless and penniless, pressured and weak. That's Paul. Slight and momentary afflictions. Now, what's happened in your life? When I asked you earlier to try to get your hands around the scope of what this means for you personally, what came to mind? And I mean, what came to mind? Because some of us, it's like, "That that is this. It's my sick child. It's my dying spouse. Something came to mind. Maybe some of us had to think a little bit, but something came to mind. What was it? And understand carefully, I'm not asking this because it's some sort of like masochism contest. Like you haven't had what Paul had, so that's not not the point. What's happened in your life is an important question to ask and then hold up next to Paul's list, not to diminish, by no means to diminish the very real afflictions that you and I, but that you have faced. And it is not by any stretch, to try to make you ashamed of how you felt about that. I thought this was really important, but I guess I should have been like more realistic. Because look at Paul. Not, no. This is not to diminish you or, or to make you feel less than. It's to encourage you. You see, every Christian, we all, something comes to mind. We try to get our hands around the scope of this. We all face our calamities. We are, we are all clay pots, wasting away, being afflicted. And when that happens to us, it's very personal. We tend to feel the blows. It's not theoretical. It's, it's real and personal. We feel it. It's against us. It's heavy. It hurts. And it feels like anything but slight But it helps us here, it should encourage us here to get Paul's list. This is what Paul has in mind for himself when he talks about slight and momentary, to realize something that that should encourage us. My list is on his list. It's included. So what Paul's talking about is not la la land crazy, it's about me too. What Paul found, I can find. What Paul was helped by, I can be helped by. You see, if Paul had light and momentary afflictions, he meant like I got a hangnail, then you'd say, My spouse died. You're crazy. No, he means big, massive, terrifying stuff. Like for you too. You're on the list somewhere which means the remedy somehow applies to you too. He has your kind of affliction in mind when he calls it slight and momentary. How can that be? Slight and momentary. Well, it's a question of standards, really. What are you comparing it to? It's slight and momentary compared to what? What? the rest of verse 17. These slight and momentary afflictions are preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. This is momentary, whatever this is right now for us, for you, this is momentary compared to eternal. And this is slight compared to weight of glory beyond all comparison, or as some translations put it, surpassing weight of glory. They're trying to get a handle here on the language, which literally stumbles over itself with repetition. It says, greatly surpassing of all surpassing. It's repetitive on purpose to emphasize something. There is something coming to us that is exceedingly beyond all reasonable proportion. It is surpassing of what is surpassing. An exceedingly beyond reasonable, substantial portion of glory. For you, Christian, not for God, you. This is about you. bestowed on you, you marked with glory. You marked as great and honorable and admirable and splendid and good, shining. This is not a glory that rivals God. There's, there's no competition here. This is the glory that is befitting of a creature made in the image of God. This is the the creature made in the image of God displaying that glorious image well. Made glorious and seen to be that. It's not seen right now, but one day the unseen things will be seen in the eternity that's coming. It'll be known and seen publicly Immense far surpassing of all surpassing, glory on you. That is something to just kind of sit for a second and marvel at and imagine, and I think even daydream about a little bit. I kind of have to daydream, because in all honesty, the Bible tells us, no eye has seen what it is that God's prepared for us. We don't know it. And it's never really fully spelled out, certainly not here. And maybe that's because human language couldn't really fully spell it out anyway. But it's worth thinking about a little bit. And as I think about it, one of the places my mind is drawn to is First Peter chapter 1. A couple of verses there, perhaps you know them. There's some similar context from Peter's pen there where he talks about how it is necessary for us to be grieved by various trials. Similar context, afflictions. Necessary that we be grieved by various trials, says Peter. Because that's what tests and matures our faith of greater worth than gold. You know the context. And that then, the faith that's mature, is what results in Praise and glory and honor on us when Christ returns. That's Peter, chapter 1. You hear the similar context. Afflictions and praise and glory and honor on us. Not now, but later, after Christ comes back. So something that's forward, glory on us, resulting from trials. Similar context there. And what I note is how Peter adds in faith. The trials try us and prove the genuine nature of our faith. Day by day, we are renewed, it says. Day by day, something is pulled out of us, like a Jenga block that's pulled out that shouldn't be supporting us in the first place. But what gets replaced in there is dependence on God. And we get remade slowly. The wood comes out and the faith block goes in and we get remade as a properly dependent on God image bearer. properly dependent, like an image bearer, like a a human made in the image of God should be, like like a real man, a woman of God. And what gets seen there as spiritual forces watch us and as God our Father watches us, what gets seen there is, look, look. A proper image bearer. Look, a dependent one. Look, a God-fearing worshiper. Look, a faithful one. And what gets then one day announced is, well done, good, faithful servant. That's exactly it. The angels look on. That's what a real worshiper looks like. The, the demons even have to acknowledge, there's one who depends on him. I think Something like that is what's behind the great surpassing glory that for eternity we are seen and known to be faithful, God glorifying, real, proper image bearers. Which is glorifying to us and the God who made it. I think. Be honest, it doesn't say. So whatever, it doesn't say, whatever this surpassing weight of glory turns out to be, what it does say, what verse 17 is trying to press upon us, a couple things. First, that surpassing weight of glory dwarfs any and all kinds of and any and all amounts of affliction we can experience here on earth. Compared to that, there, this here, whatever it is, is slight and momentary. These afflictions pale in comparison. And so I, w- I would invite you, Christian. Regard them as slight and momentary. Because really, let's, let's be clear about this. I'm not inviting you to that. Paul who wrote this isn't inviting you to that. Your loving father who inspired Paul to write this is inviting you to that. And this is... Part of how we get our our hands around life here and live with it well is that we, we recognize this is a trouble but it is slight and momentary compared to what is coming and what is coming is immense and eternal. My father has told me so and he is trustworthy. I will believe him. The verse wants to make that clear. Slight and momentary. And it also wants to make something else clear. That the afflictions that we face here are directly and necessarily tied to the coming glory. Directly and necessarily tied to it. We get that, that immense glory there. We get that there because of this here. Look closely at the verse. This slight momentary affliction is preparing for us the glory. Preparing for us. Like a cook preparing a meal, bringing it to pass, making it so. The afflictions are what causes the glory. Such that the afflictions you have, if you did not have them, you would not have the glory. This is the part where I gotta be like super careful, right? Because I know what I'm talking about. I know something about what I'm talking about here when I say afflictions, when you're afflictions. I have some idea about what came to your mind, what you got your hands around. I gotta be careful, but I gotta be clear. That affliction then is your useful servant. Like the cook is the servant to the diner. It is actually profitable to you. It comes from the hand of your Father who loves you and understands you and knows you and knows full well what eternity looks like. And he said, even through sin and many, many afflictions are sinned unto you, right? Of course, that's not saying it's not sin. It is sin, but God works even through sin. He bends all things to do good to his people. And then you can look at, therefore, all things and say, that's actually my servant, this affliction. Everything that comes to you, everything that strikes you, Christian, here in this fallen world, while you are following Christ. Everything, no matter what it is. If it's, if it's the coronavirus and all the ramifications that of these last number of months. If it's cancer that you've had for years, it's getting worse and worse and worse if it's the job loss and the sudden financial shortage, if it's the jeering of classmates who mock you as you mention Jesus, if it's the random car accident or bike accident or your kid who fell off the playground equipment, or if it's the deliberate attack of someone who doesn't like you, a workmate who's trying to destroy you. Whatever it is, put your arms around whatever it is for you, everything All of that is doing something for you. For you. Not just to you. For you. It is preparing a great, immeasurable, Far more than is reasonable, surpassing of all surpassing glory that's coming to you because of the affliction. In a very real way, then, this is hard to say, but true. We can give thanks in all circumstances. because all of them are bringing us immense good forever. I think that probably some of us in the room are tracking with me at the theoretical level and probably also some of us in the room, not on the outside but on the inside, are kind of holding on because I'm talking about your dying youngster. And that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. You can't see that when verses eight and nine are striking you. Or your loved ones all you can feel is the hammer blow and the pain and you can see the reality of life wasting away and you're sitting here just trying to hold back the tears right now because it is hard It does not look like this affliction is my servant and like I can give thanks for it and like it is attaining for me something glorious. It does not look like that. And that's where verse 18 comes in. And the second observation. Here's the second observation. Joyful perseverance through affliction comes from keeping your eyes on the unseen. Joyful perseverance through affliction comes from keeping your eyes on the unseen. Verses 16 and 17 hold out this, this desirable scenario, hard to believe perhaps, but desirable, that wasting away you can be renewed and that afflictions are gaining for your glory. It's there, but we have to note something else here, that, that all is not mechanically automatic. Verse 18 brings up something really important for us, the posture of the one in verses 16 and 17, for, for whom 16 and 17 come to pass. It happens, verse 18, as we look or while we look to while we fix our eyes on not the things that are seen but on the things that are unseen. I asked you earlier to get your hands around the scope. I used the word scope on purpose because that's kind of behind the Greek word here about fixing our eyes on. It's what are you scoping. I asked you to Get your hands around the scope of your troubles. But what we find in verse 18 is that I actually need to get my hands around the scope of something else. That's key here. Verse 18 is not actually a command. It's a conditional statement. 17, if and while, 18. So it does, in affect. come around to exhort us to something. It does kind of work like a command in the end, but it's not literally a command. It's telling us a, a condition, which, if you think about it, makes sense because it's entirely possible for a Christian, and haven't, haven't we all done this? it been us at different times. To get fixated on the, on the here and the now to, to set our scope on only what's going on here. We can do that just like anybody else can, and we can live by sight and not by faith. And we can look at what's right in front of us and we can see only the afflictions and the attacks and we are wounded by them and gripped by them and overcome with them and we shrink back and we, maybe we harden up or maybe we wallow, maybe we descend into bitterness, we, maybe we grumble or complain. That's not helpful. But it's certainly possible and more than I like, that's been me. But that's not honoring to God. That's not glorifying for us. We can look and live by what is seen. And that would be the opposite of being renewed day by day. That's not maturity. That doesn't bring glory. So it kind of makes sense here that that there's got to be a a posture, a, a condition. This is actually then showing us, well, here's what you have to set your scope on. Get your hands around. Not this. Don't look to the things you can see all around you. Don't look at them and let them define life and give you the current answers about what God is currently up to. Don't look to the things that are are seen and, and are painful. And don't use those things to define your value and to answer the question does God love me? And does God care about me? And is God doing me good? Don't look around at what you can see and let this stuff decide the answers to those questions. This stuff will mislead you. Don't live by sight. Because all that you can see, there's something else going on behind it, behind it, and all that you can see is all passing away anyway. It's all transient, as he says here. All the things that are seen are transient. They're passing away quickly, and a month from now, you won't care about a whole lot that happened last week, and a thousand years from now, you won't even remember it. This is all slipping away, all of it, not just us, all of it. But there is an eternity, and there is a life to come that lasts forever. That's true. It can't be seen yet, but it will be seen. There is an eternity, and you will be raised with Christ. You will be brought into the presence of God. This is what we talked about last week. And when you come into the presence of God, whatever exactly happens in that moment, it awaits to see how all the details play out there. But whatever you are brought into the presence of and whatever happens at that moment will begin an eternity that, by definition, lasts forever. That's true. And completely unseen right now. But that is the truth upon which our eyes must be fixed. We have to look not at the things that are seen, but at the things that are unseen at the moment, but which last forever, that never pass away. That's his exhortation here in verse 18. And that's the spot, when, when living in that spot, with eyes fixed on the future, that's the spot in which we walk in faith, trusting him. In 17 and 16 happens. That's 18. So what does that mean for us then? What does that mean Wednesday afternoon and a Wednesday afternoon that's otherwise not going well for you? Maybe you got news your company's laying you off. Or you just found out your preferred presidential candidate lost. Whatever. Something this Wednesday is not going to go well. What do you do? Don't look to what is seen. Don't stretch out your hands and make this your total scope. Partial scope, yes. But you take this and you lift it up and you set your eyes on what is unseen. You grab hold of your mind and you remember the joy set before you, like Jesus did, like Paul does and you remember you reckon it is true i will be raised with him i will be i will be raised with him and that life that is coming lasts forever and what i experience there that is most important that is most important these things are true but we have to rehearse them in our minds we have to preach them to ourselves And recall that this is the case. I face all kinds of trouble here. This life is passing away, indeed. And yet in it, God, if I trust him as I trust him, I believe that God is at work in all of this to make me new and glorious forever. This is all gaining for you, a great crown of glory for you forever. This is a servant to you now for you forever. That's all true, and that's the process that you have to walk through. You have to set your eyes up because something here, the the gravitational pull, the earth draws you down, draws you down, draws you down. Lift up your eyes and see what's coming. And recognize that when you don't, because you won't, only one ever perfectly did that only one ever perfectly for the joy set before him looked at this light and momentary affliction of the cross and embraced it remember when I fail when I live here in the now looking at what is seen and letting that define me Jesus didn't for you in that moment Jesus endured the cross for your unbelief. That's good news. And he did that then to say, okay, you read 16, 17, 18, you failed. Okay. I'm going I'm to, in my blood, write across that forgiven. And I'm going to invite you to start again today. Lift up your eyes and see your future. Start again today. He Let me help you by my spirit. Trust me. The same things are still true. You still will be raised. Trust me. He'll say that to you again today after you failed. And he'll say it to you again tomorrow after you failed because he is completely and extremely trustworthy. Take yourself in hand, Christian, and say, this is the reality of my life, and that is the greater reality of my whole life, secured for me by Jesus, who invites me back into it when I fail. And do it again and again and again, setting your eyes on the things that are unseen until you're changed. This is the whole key to where the paragraph begins. So we do not lose heart. How do you not lose heart? By looking to what is unseen and eternal and letting that define our lives and clarify what's going on in our afflictions. They're grievous often, very painful. And by comparison, slight and momentary. I only get that if my eyes see the coming glory. That's how a Christian deals with affliction, deals with life when it falls apart. You look it square in the eye and then you look right through the life falling apart at the life to come that lasts forever. And the good God who promises it to you and can be trusted. That is not a resigned fatalism. That is an optimism that is very realistic and very hopeful and very true because that life is more true than this one. Christians, brothers and sisters, look not to the things that are seen but to the things that are unseen The things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Preach that to yourself and in hopeful joy, persevere through this life. Let me pray. Father, will you help us all in the various spots where we are, the various ways that this hits us, and it, it, there's going to be a lot of variety. Help us, please. Maybe one way, Lord, you would help some particular individual is to, to through, through all, the, all the words and all the confusion, just to speak to that one, I love you, I've got, I have you. I love you, I have you. Maybe someone needs to hear that from you. Speak that. Whatever, whatever we need, Lord, we are your people. We are your children. We are dependent on you. So shepherd us and carry us and build us up to be a people like Paul who, who rejoice in suffering, who persevere through affliction, and in so doing, point out for a world that's lost where hope is found. So help us, we pray. Thank you, Lord.
0: Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcevfree.org